I think the nature is the most dominant thing down here. To talk about the mountain ranges, the animals, that's why we are here, the nature. You cannot beat it, the comfort of the ship plus the nature. It's a fantastic combination. You can talk about southeast or southwest Alaska. You can talk about the Canadian fjords or the Norwegian fjords. You can't compare it. It's nobody down here except us. And you know that when you are going around the next bend, the only thing you will meet or can expect to meet is an iceberg, maybe a couple of killer whales, maybe a humpback. Yeah, it's good. Just plain good. Captain Eric Burstadt is at the helm of the luxury liner, the Marco Polo. The ship visits Antarctica every two years. His 400 passengers have paid up to $22,000 for their three-week trip. At the same time, the British Antarctic Survey sends around 100 scientists to the ice. At their Halley Research Centre close to the South Pole, they will live, eat, sleep and work for up to two years. But there will be few luxuries. For both groups, life in the land of the midnight sun will be vastly different. The tourists will visit Scott's Hut, buy trinkets and souvenirs aboard ship. But the scientists will often be forced to live in a tent as their research demands isolation away from base. The first time you come down, then you're on the ship and it's nudging through ice. You know, you look up at the captain and you think, oh, I hope he knows where he's going. And the first time that you fly in a plane and land on skis, you worry about the pilot, you worry if he knows what he's doing, you worry whether he's looked at his fuel gauge and you worry about whether the diesel mechanic's keeping the generators going and you worry about whether the cook's added up the food right and we're going to have enough food to survive for the whole time. But... After you've been here several times, you realise that these people do their job and they rely on you doing your job. That's a roasting 23. Minus 23. <laughs> a roasting minus 23. Well, I suppose compared with minus 27 this morning and 15 knots, yeah, it is quite roasting, isn't it? I've been coming down here for 10 years now, and every time I go home, I think I'll never again get a proper job. And then after a few months, you just want to come down. So it's partly getting it out of your system. You can't get any time to yourself. You can't have time to think there's a lot of work to do, and there's a lot of people around, and it's always busy. Looks like Eamon's put a good spread on for this evening. Some gammon steaks, vegetable stir-fry, followed by blackberries in meringues. Shall we go and retire to the dining room before all the fatties get there and eat all the food? For me, Antarctica isn't the base anyway. It's when you're away from all the structure and the logistics that we have to get us here, and you actually get to see Antarctica on its own terms. When you're walking with the penguins, or if you're out in the field hundreds of miles away from the coast, hundreds of miles away from any other people or any other wildlife at all. I think it is a most enjoyable cruise. It's a very happy ship. The captain inspires your confidence. He's my favorite captain of many, many cruises. The attention to the last detail. When the captain said, put on your sunscreen so that he's telling all his passengers to be careful of Antarctic sunburns, I remembered a very serious sunburn I got under the same circumstances in the Arctic when you're in the summer. It's the most pristine place I have ever, ever seen. I just guess I didn't really stop to think that there was a place that was this uncontaminated by human beings. 
I've got you down for a co-pilot flight tomorrow. I don't know whether you want it. I do. I'm on gash. Does that matter? Ah, oh, are you? No, I haven't looked at the gash. Why do you want me to move it to a different day? Yeah. I think the base itself is very civilised, very comfortable, particularly for young single men who might be living in digs back home. This is quite a comfortable option. But what is uncivilised about it, I suppose, is the isolation. There's only 17, 18 of us on base, and we are several thousand miles away from the nearest civilization. In the bleak, barren beauty of Antarctica, the scientists are their own society. They dwell in humble accommodation. Videos and weight training are their only luxuries. The research laboratories lie away from the main living quarters, and although the dormitories are warm and clean, they're also institutional. You only really realise that isolation. I realised it once, flying in on the aircraft, 5,000 feet above the ice shelf, and you just can't see anything except pure white. You can't even distinguish the base at that altitude. And then you, you look around you and you realise how incredibly isolated you are. It's like nothing else on the planet. And people are always saying, oh, well, I've been to Alaska or I've been to Iceland, and it's not the same. I can't describe it. You can't compare it to anything. It's sort of out of this world. It's the most beautiful place on Earth. The second that people leave, the time you see your last iceberg, you start thinking, now, how can I come back again? What's the draw? For some people, it's the ice. And for some people, it's the penguins. The one problem with Antarctica is uh, you hate to go to bed. Because it's late all night, you might miss something. You know the second that you go downstairs to your cabin, they're going to see whales or you're going to see seals on an ice floe going by. It's very difficult when you have those most gorgeous evenings and you're sailing in these narrow straits with the glaciers on either side. It's very difficult to say, I have to go to bed, because you might miss something. People who don't know what that sound is down there, what are they doing? <laughs> they are brushing the mud off my boots. I've been wading around in the penguin area, and it's muddy. <laughs> and smelly. And smelly. <laughs> like a barnyard, sort of. What, what do you love about it, though? One thing stands out. The quietness, the clean, pristine beauty of the snow and ice, contrast of the dark rock mountains and the ice. I think it's all just spectacular. I'll try and get Dudley out of his bed. Get out of bed! <laughs> oh, you lazy tight. You're not still in bed, are you, Dudley? Oh, God almighty. This is a real slack tent, Dudley. Yeah, I don't know. There's John and me. We've done a day's work already this morning. Yeah, I mean, golly, and you two still here. haven't even had your breakfast. Right, where's my bit of Christmas cake? It's all right, this cake, I think. Well, one thing I could say about this cake is it should have been about five times bigger, shouldn't it? Oh, we've got a tin of raspberries. Now, we could have traded you the raspberries for the grapefruit, but you've drunk the grapefruit. Steve Hall, you're originally from Leicester. We're standing here in the middle of nowhere, a million miles away from England, and your wife's just about to give birth. So how on earth could you leave her as a devoted husband? As I walked across the tarmac at Bryce Norton, I got halfway across and had this very, very strong urge to suddenly turn through 180 degrees and walk back into the terminal building just for a split second but I sort of focused on the aircraft walked to the stairs and got on and I knew then that was it. But how can you compare the two coming here lifelong ambition but baby birth? Well it was a very hard decision but a decision that we both 
talked about extensively. Luckily for me, she really wanted me to have the opportunity to come down here and see Antarctica, so she was prepared to let me come down here, sacrificing what is probably a very special moment in our relationship. Basically, the cost of the phone calls was prohibitive. It's three or four pounds a minute. <laughs> Once you get talking, you're on, on for an hour. It's quite a, a large bill. So we sort of limit the times when I could talk to her, which limited it basically to Christmas Day, New Year's Day, and then I'll ring her on her birthday as well, which is January the 11th. So just three calls? Three calls for a period of four months in total, I'll be away. Three calls. But we do actually write to each other weekly via the communication system. We can actually type in on the computer up to a 1,000 words a week and that gets sent over by satellite and she'll get that probably three or four days later. So that is the main form of communication, really, just written. But that sort of almost cold-its mentality, what pressure does that put on the relationship? And, and what pressure does it put on you that all this has been worth it? Well, when you're sort of reading the letters, you're sort of looking for hidden messages sometimes is what she's actually put in writing, exactly how she feels, is everything OK? And you can sort of find yourself being a little bit suspicious of what she's said sometimes, and because you're not actually holding a conversation with her, some of the phrases that you use in your letters could be taken at a totally different context, which hopefully you can clarify in your next letter. Ask you what, what kind of time are you having? You're on this uh, walking machine. Yes, I'm at almost three miles, and I'm an artist. I live in Santa Fe, and I have to say that nothing could have ever prepared me for what I've seen here. It, it, it's monumental. It's indescribable. I feel that the lack of color, the lack of human beings, the stillness of the landscape is overwhelming. I uh, can't wait to get back home and start painting, get into my studio and begin a whole new series on icebergs. Everything will be in white and in tones of gray, blue and brown. So I find it extremely inspiring. It's a kind of a psychological thing when you see the vastness and the beauty of things that are taking place on this earth. And when you compare your own infinitely small, almost like a little bolt or a little molecule as a part of this vast structure, it's a very humiliating experience, which uh, I find that is of value to me in as much as I lose some of my self-conceit and pride, which I know people resent to see that type of thing in other people. Just one. You've seen one iceberg, you've seen them all. You've seen one ice shelf, you've seen them all. North Pole, South Pole, something different. I play a lot of slots all over the world, so I'm going to Sydney next to uh, try their new slots. I'm not satisfied with the quarter machines. I'm a dollar machine and a $5 machine player, sometimes $25 machine. Quarters are all right, but I'd much rather have higher stakes. What about the trip, though? Is, is your abiding memory the roulette wheel or, or oh, no, no, the no, Ross no, Ice no. Shelf? This is right, the Ross Ice Shelf, for sure, right. Now, if the Ross Ice Shelf had a, had a slot machine, it would be great. Anything else you'd like to see it have? No, no. Well, maybe two slot machines. <laughs> I love cruises. You hang your clothes in the closet, and you don't have to repack them till you leave. You've got a reserved seat 
for dinner and all this attention I get because I treat my service people like they're the most important people in the world. They are to me. And I get all this fantastic attention. And then with the way I dress, everybody knows me. I like to travel and I've got money enough to do it. Only unfortunately my body's breaking down. What I could see out the window and all the lectures were fantastic. And the library is really overstuffed with things about the trip. As the cruise liner serves up trout, lobster and venison, over the ice, the scientist's work is hanging in the balance. Bloody hell, is that that? This is your north-south? That is really quite uh, serious. I think mean, that, that, that suggests we're not making any... Go back to that. That suggests we're not making any measurements east-west at all. We don't really find out what is happening until we're back in the UK again. This is when we're actually setting up the bits and pieces, putting up masts, putting instruments on them, setting out arrays of instruments. When that's done, then we go back to the UK and the data is sent back by satellite and we have time to get our big computers and analyse it. Down here, there isn't really the ability to look at the data. We just hope it's working, and then when we get back, we're checking it out. But doesn't that make you think, God, is this, this is just not worth it? I mean, this might not work. If the wind blows too hard the day I leave, it's all a waste of time. That's risk, but that's also part of the challenge. When it does work, it's, it's quite a buzz. You get back and it's still ticking there and sitting on its own in some far field, measuring the wind, measuring the temperature, and just talking to a little satellite as it goes over, and you think, oh, it all worked. You know, all your ideas came together. But when it doesn't work? When it doesn't work, you uh, go to the pub. <laughs> It's all worth it for when the science does work and then there is incredible excitement. I mean, a peak for me would be when we set up the PACE radar in 1988 and after four weeks of very, very hard work, a team of five or six of us, then switching on at six o'clock one evening and the computer screen showing the whole auroral oval lighting up was a, an immensely exciting moment in knowing that four years of effort had come to fruition. How much did you spend? $96.50. And what did you get? Got one hat, five patches, and two pins. The patches I'm going to put on a jacket or a sweatshirt. We're thinking about standing back in the line again and maybe get another patch. Waiting in this line, that's a two-hour wait just to get in there. What about missing all the scenery, though, because outside it's breathtaking, beautiful? Well, the scenery now is the same as the scenery tomorrow or later on tonight or this morning. The scenery is the scenery. You're not going to... It's all the same. It's just mountains, snow-capped mountains, water, ice plates. The ship plows through them or it doesn't plow through them. It's the same today or tomorrow. It'll all come out at the end. Uh, what we're doing here is we're doing a treatment, a therapy treatment, which is an intense uh, rehydrating treatment because of the Antarctic weather, the skin has become very dry. So at the moment what we've done is we've cleansed and now we've just done a peel to get rid of all the dead skin cells. Well, right now it feels a little cold. <laughs> Everything's here. You don't have to rush. In terms of tonight's dinner, well, what are you going to be wearing because it's a formal night tonight? Well, I'm going to wear a very simple, packable outfit that came from my own hometown. None of these glamorous gowns for me, I'm afraid. It's a pants suit, really. It's sort of silver and black. Okay, I'm just going to touch your hand first of all, Liz, just so you know what it feels like. Just mm -hmm. feels like that, OK? Start on the right-hand side of the face first of all. There we go. So are you feeling very pampered at the moment? Yes. Well, it's very, very 
relaxing. And, and tonight, what kind of sort of jewellery are you going to be wearing? Anything oh, nice? nothing. No, nothing very special. <laughs> Just some earrings that go with my silver and black two-piece outfit. Some silver earrings. I also have an, a little piece that I bought in Norway and more comfortable with less things around my neck, so I don't know that I'll wear that. You're not going to wear your diamonds no, tonight? No, 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 no. There are people on the ship who have beautiful jewelry. There's a lot of lovely jewels. The most wonderful experience of this trip has been doing Tai Chi in the morning at a very slow pace and very relaxed and feeling wonderful as the chi flows through one. And you look out the window and you're passing immense icebergs. And not only tabular icebergs, but you're seeing icebergs of all shapes that have carved from glaciers or the tabular bergs which have carved from the ice shelf. And it is a fabulous, wonderful experience. had quite a lot of problems this year with trying to get the supplies up to the station. We ended up with the heavy vehicles stuck on what was effectively an iceberg, although we could at the time get the vehicles off, and we didn't quite know where we were going to unload all the food, but things have come together in the end. Every year is different, as this year has typified, so it's a totally unique situation. You've got to overcome whatever's thrown at you and make snap decisions to make it all work. Everyone is looking at you as the base commander to make it all right. That isn't always possible. Often I get up earlier than anyone else in the morning so that I can get my head screwed on before people get up and then say to me, look, what am I doing today? And I can say, right, yep, you're going here, you're going there, this is what we're doing. But that way I can always keep on top of things. Obviously when the situation's constantly changing, the snap decisions have to be made. It's very hard, perhaps one day, being fairly critical of someone who has done something which they shouldn't. Maybe they've driven into something with a vehicle. They've perhaps had a bit too much to drink and caused a few problems. And then the next day, you've perhaps got to tell them, you know, that a member of their family has passed on. So it's quite difficult. But difficult, you know, what is difficult? Um, trying to be one of the boys, but not one of the boys. Always having that little bit of distance, I think, always helps me sort of focus. It's uh, very cold, isn't it? It can be, yeah. It has to be in some ways, I think. I don't think you can be totally one of the boys. Ultimately, then, does that mean you're just lonely and isolated? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think people appreciate that the job's not easy. Certainly, those that are critical of you would never be willing to take on the job themselves. These look good. The, the frozen blackberries are excellent. Yeah. And just managed to devour the last bit of last night's lemon meringue. Very tasty. It's long hours, that's probably one thing that you notice down here, is you know, you're working long hours, especially people working with you, you notice them getting tired, and that's when perhaps you get a bit of friction. So you've got to talk them down and get them to try and take a bit more time off if they're working too hard. Some people get so involved with the job, they lose sight of actually what they're down here for, I think. I think everybody comes down for perhaps different reasons. Some are just curious when they first come down. They see the place and say, OK, that's it, and then they're off home again. Some people, it just gets under your skin. Probably for me, that's why I keep coming down year after year, I guess. So why is it under your skin? How is it under your skin? It's a different level of life. 
back home you've got television adverts you've got traffic getting into work getting out of work whereas down here you're actually sitting down to breakfast with a guy who makes your electricity you're sitting down to breakfast with a guy who does all the plumbing for you and that actually makes it worthwhile if i had to go out of the base for some reason nobody noticed i wasn't there but if the jenny mech disappears then we're in big trouble it's different from back home but back home you can escape from the annoying man sitting opposite you okay there's swings and roundabouts in that yes you've got room to escape although you know, it's not that easy to fully escape in the uk even if you go into the lakes or into derbyshire there's still people 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 here you can actually get away right out into the field and that actually is one big escape what do you do to entertain each other then music uh, organized travel you can go on holiday just before winter and just after winter so everybody puts together a load of tents and rucksacks and puts the skidoos outside and links up and just disappear north south east or west whichever way you want to go so the holiday is in antarctica oh yeah there's, uh, there's no flying home and going to tenerife and that's another reason for coming down you can have travel and then you really are on your own devices and find out what your envelope is martin luther king is correct <laughs> well, we did have a question someone asked, what happens to the icebergs after they melt? Which I thought was interesting. They do ask uh, all the time, what time do the whales come out? Some of the Americans asked, can we have afternoon tea in the morning? Some guests were out in the photo gallery and they asked the chief photographer, how will we know which photos are ours? So every now and then you get uh, some interesting questions and uh, you can only hope that it doesn't describe everybody on board. It's the United Nations that govern Antarctica and place constraints on all its visitors. Under these rules, the passengers from the ship will be controlled and chaperoned. But soon they will enter Scott's hut, the untouched mausoleum of frozen history. For some, a moving experience. For others, a diversion from roulette. All you saw really was penguins. There's a couple of sea lions. Everything is environmental and you can't go 15 feet here and go 10 feet there and there's a line there and somebody's got to hold my hand walking up the rocks. Like, That's not for me, you know. I'm not into that. I mean, I want to just move, go, you know. I don't want somebody to hold my hand. So, so what do you think of the hut? Well, I'm glad it was them and not me. I don't think I could live this way, not as long as they had to do it. When you have to, you have to, but it's not for me. I don't like cold weather. They must have been really some men. <laughs> well, what, what do you think of it all? What's going through your mind as you sign the visitor's book? Well, it's been a, a dream for me for all my life, ever since I was a young boy, to come here. Never thought I would. So is it better than you thought it would be, or is it just... I mean, it's just as you left it, isn't it? It's fantastic. I feel it very atmospheric. I can sort of feel that there's something in it that penetrates one and makes one sort of rather proud, really, in a way. Don't you think? Proud to be British? Well, yes, and proud to have the courage to attempt something so severe and so stretching and you can't plan ahead really as to whether you're going to succeed or not really might never see one's relatives and family again and all that sort of thing they pushed to the back of their mind didn't they and just got on with it 
and it's tremendously courageous. Okay. So what do you think of it all? Well, I'm an Amundsen supporter, so you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> I think Scott was incompetent. Especially <laughs> you can see the old artifacts and the primitive equipment that they had and the primitive bunks. And Look at the stove here. Do you think you'd be able to heat your hands and your clothing over that stove? It's very rusty and rustic, both. It really is. How does this compare with the opulence of the Orient line and Marco Polo? <laughs> it's like night and day, isn't it? Here we were complaining about the day coming ashore, and they went all the way to the pole. It's really remarkable. Thank you. Wow. Well, folks, what can I say? You've been a fantastic crowd. I always say, you know, you come on a ship. How many of you have met folks that you'll keep in touch with for the rest of your lives, probably, this cruise? Yeah, you meet a lot of friends. You can come on a cruise and spend a few days on a ship and make friends for life, yet live the same address for 20 years and never know who lives upstairs or next door. My wish for each and every one of you. May you always walk with sunshine, slumber when night winds blow. Visiting Scott's hut has been the highlight of my life so far. Something I've wanted to do for a long time. And, you know, it's quite emotional today saying goodbye to the people who are leaving the cruise that you shared that experience with. Once you've been down to Antarctica, the achievements of those early explorers are just perhaps in a way incomprehensible because of the climate and the terrain, and you think, well, how did they do it? What do you feel about yourself now you've seen them and their achievements? Well, I suppose visiting a place like that changes you. Well, travel changes you anyway, doesn't it? But that's a peak travel experience, I think. It also ties in with the fact that I retired on the Friday before we left, so there's a new phase of life ahead of me as well as having achieved something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And now is it back to England to, what, just look to the future? Yes, to a completely different kind of life, which I haven't quite decided what that's going to be yet. If Antarctica was a person, then it would be someone who just didn't take a blind bit of notice of anybody else. They wouldn't even speak our language. So why have you made it your friend or your enemy or...? Certainly not my enemy. When I say Antarctica is my friend, I don't think I would say Antarctica is my friend. I think Antarctica is just a place that is very fascinating and a place I enjoy being. I certainly don't think Antarctica would have any feelings for me. I mean, Antarctica is just too big to have feelings for it, really. I mean, you can't sort of think, well, it would be a shame if this ice cliff falls down or whatever, because it does all the time. I mean, whole place is there and changing all the time and, and its own natural processes. So, you know, you can have a slight familiarity with one or two small areas, but you can't really have any feelings for Antarctica as a whole. It's, it's just too big. <laughs> it's an odd thought, you know, lying in your pit at night, <laughs> that you're lying on 8,000 feet of ice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty strange thing to be doing, isn't it? And, and a lilo. <laughs> and a, oh, yeah, a lilo, yeah. yeah. A lilo at 8,000 feet of ice. <laughs> <laughs> 